0: Folks, take it from
1: me,
0: NBA legend Bill Walden. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D-Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D-Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go.
1: All right, guys, and NBA fans, over the last two weeks, we saw some semblance of a restoration of balance as the elite team started to return to form and the projected fringe team started to move toward, well, the fringe. (laughs) But we still have a few surprises. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? (laughs) But still, some surprises and uh, plenty of disorder to the conventional predictions. Neil
0: Olshay sighting.
1: We'll get to that. Oh. Starting though, Michael, with the Wizards, the team that last year, like former head coach Scott Brooks, just wouldn't go away. <laughs> they are no longer just a fly on the shoulder of elite teams, but they currently have the best record in the Eastern Conference. They are the elite
0: teams going
1: into today, and they from pupil to master. It's All quite... they need to do was jettison Scotty Brooks. That that was the key. More on that soon. Uh, The golden horse that Michael has been backing now for the last two years is being driven by the big three of Kuzma, Dinwiddie, and Harrell. (laughs) The uh, most unlikely big three since Paul, Aiton, and Booker. (laughs) I thought you guys would, would like that. And As you said, Michael, right on cue, Scott Brooks is wondering why they waited until he was gone to bring in this massive talent wave. You know... I could have done with those guys.
2: I I wish we had we had the scientific experiment where we could see alternative universe where Scotty Brooks leaves, Westbrook stays, and they're still eight and three to start the season. It was just everyone's blaming Westbrook for the change, but it was I think it was more Brooks. I mean, it was more. (laughs) All
1: along, yeah. So the uh, the Nets and James Harden are settling in and have made their way to second in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, But our two Eastern Conference Finals teams from last year, the Hawks and Bucks, have been the surprise disappointments. Uh, Hawks coach Nate McMillan, who last year had a revelation that it helps to be nicer to modern NBA players, is pondering whether to start being mean again. And Coach Bud from Milwaukee doesn't know what to do. So not much has changed in Milwaukee. Not much. Whatever pass he had for winning the title, uh, he had a nice little run. Hey, Sorry, is the Jeff rule? Gundy, how we're going how after How many does him he get?
0: Did... Was that? Car- Carlisle lived for 10 years without winning another playoff series. <laughs> so what does is, what is Bud get in Milwaukee? Much
1: less time for Bud. The, the the string is much slimmer for Bud.
0: I guess when you have a modern superstar and not an aging superstar, your timeline window is probably a little shorter. <laughs> if that does
1: help, definitely. <laughs> But the headline story through the first month of the season is, of course, none other than the Golden State Warriors. Yes, the team of the last decade, now, of course, without Durant, and Clay for the time being is finding its mojo. Despite two years of draft blunders, injuries, and off-the-court drama, <laughs> they are emerging as a true contender. Uh, if, if you are concerned that most of those wins are coming against subpar Western Conference opponents, you should be. It's fool's gold, Michael. It's not going to last. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I just I love that when a when a franchise realizes having good players instead of bad players is a good strategy to have a better record. I mean it just it's they're they really are light years. It's like the what
1: did what did Bill Simmons say that every team needs a, a VP of common sense. <laughs> uh, but they're they're doing the thing that the Lakers can't do, which is beat the Thunder. Uh the, the Lakers <laughs> can beat the Thunder with in uh, moving to off-the-court news, uh, Ben Simmons is going to have to pause the refurbishing on the pool in the mansion because the 76ers are back to finding him <laughs> for not being cooperative and accepting their help to address any of his mental health concerns. But can we, can we not all see the pattern here? You can force Simmons to show up to camp, to his team-sponsored mental health appointments, and maybe eventually to games. But it's only going to be a zombie Ben Simmons. Uh, he wants to go. The fans want him to go. The players want him to go. Daryl, it's time to fold your cards and stop the madness. Get what you can and let's get on with our
2: lives. So, it, what? What is since Ben Simmons plays like a zombie anyway? What's zombie Ben Simmons? It's like the zombie zombie. It's, it's the zombie zombie that won't even participate in the game. That's true. Yes. <laughs> because oh man, want, the guy
0: could uh, he did hustle a bit on defense, but
1: oh
2: yeah. That's... It is.
0: It is a funny situation. I think we're at where Maury is. I mean, in the game of chess between these two, these two parties. I mean, Maury is is clearly winning the battle. I mean, the Simmons camp. I mean, there's going to be like a lawsuit coming out of this if this ends poorly for everyone involved. I mean, New and Noel already sued them, so it might just happen again, but. I just I can't imagine how this is going to turn out positive for anyone involved, and that's that's despite Maury really playing his cards as good as he can I mean he just it's just been a tough deal all the way around
1: but it, I thought part of him playing his cards is that right like Simmons' value just reached an all-time low at the end of the playoffs last year, and it just seems like his value is actually still plummeting like two teams are more <laughs> concerned now like he's been seeing a counselor they're trying to what get him to see two counselors and I mean, it's have you gotten like, the call yet? What's that? Have you gotten the call yet? <laughs> I have not. Oh, uh, I'm waiting. I'd, I'd like to see what I could charge for for that one, but uh, no, I'm I'm here though. Uh, so then,
2: the Sixers have multiple guys out tonight: Joel Embiid for health and safety protocols, Matisse Thybul health and safety protocols, Danny Green left hamstring tightness, Ben Simmons. Mentally not ready to play. <laughs> <laughs> I think Maury wrote that
1: himself.
2: <laughs> In all capital letters, I assume. Dude, I will, I will say, Ben Simmons doesn't have Adele on his court. So he has Adele supporting his efforts. So I think she's nice. going to be... Yeah, I think he's going to be... She's, she's
0: going to write an album called 24 for the millions of dollars he's going to lose this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: she's a uh, strategy with Rich Paul. Um they have a bigger, bigger plan in mind, so we'll see what happens.
1: They were doing pretty well before Embiid went into the health and safety protocols. So they, they were, they were rolling. Now they're like, yeah, they're trying now to they scrap out wins, but it's tough.
2: I mean, that was I the hard thing curious... about. Oh, go ahead, Rye. No, just that was the hard thing about Simmons was like, if if Embiid's healthy, and obviously I think he, he's got hit by the protocols, but if he's healthy and playing well, they're just they're great anyway but it's like when he's not healthy <laughs> it's a pretty big jump down to your next couple guys if without someone like simmons uh they're asking a lot from like, maxi yeah. uh,
1: who's doing a great job actually But yeah uh, he's really good can't score average 30 points a game i think uh for forever uh do have more uh, off the court drama which we had plenty of the last two weeks the endemic of rich, powerful males creating hostile work environments continued last week as ESPN broke the story that Suns owner Robert Sarver has had a long <laughs> pattern of racial insensitivity and misogyny. The, uh, the article did give uh, Sarver an opportunity to respond to the specific allegations, which I can summarize for you here, the defense that he gave. It's pretty much him saying, I never said that, I didn't do that. I never said that. Okay, I did that one, but it was taken out of context. (laughs) I never said that. never did that. Okay, I did say and do that one. My bad. Sorry about that. Uh, More denials, a couple of admissions. Uh, I think that
0: pretty much sums it up. I think you nailed it. And
2: then it... And then his wife responded by reaching out directly to former son's employees. One message began, this is Penny Starver. I know a lot of bridges were burned between you and Robert, and you were very bitter. I want to remind you that real lives are at stake (laughs) here. Sorry, sorry.
1: (laughs) And I love how she, well, she denied that she was threatening anybody. Yeah, right. It's like, we're like, we've got a copy of this stuff. And yeah, you read I it out. Yeah. Your career. Uh, no, 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 I'm not threatening anybody, you
2: know. Yeah, it's like, please put your hatred aside and realize the hurt you are causing by spreading lies and fabrications. Is your time in the spotlight that important? If something happens to one of my children, I will hold you and Earl Watson personally responsible. <laughs> Think about your own child for a second and imagine the tables turned. I mean... It's not funny. There's a
0: horrible situation that's just brutal. Wow. <laughs> no threat. Wow. Yeah. It oh, somehow feels so wonderfully on brand for a guy who literally put goats shitting in the office of his general manager. To yeah. prove a point.
2: I was just <laughs> getting Wild ready... Animals. I was just getting ready for... Uh, um, for for Penny Sarver to say, "Give me back my son." <laughs> <laughs> Whoever
1: she texted, like that could be the final line to say, "Hey, I know about the goats, all right. I, I'll go I'll go out with that. I'll go public with that if I need to." There's a, I'm sure there's plenty of more material that can find. Um Well, they did hire he, he
2: he's so desperate he hired Walk to Lipton, which is the most expensive law firm in the world. Like they're actually a relatively small law firm in New York City and they, I was reading they had like two lawyers do like a kickoff call with employees for their this review they're doing an investigation and like I don't know 15 minutes of that call probably cost like $3,000 something for them I mean their, their their rates are just crazy so maybe that's a little high but it's, it's expensive and the thing about these investigations that um, everyone has to keep in mind and you know, Mike Florio at Pro Football Talks, a lawyer, and he's definitely like hit on these points over the years, but they're worth repeating in this context. is It's an investigation, but whenever you have an investigation, you have to kind of ask one question. Who's paying the lawyers' bills? And Robert Sarver is paying the lawyers' bills. You know, the Phoenix Suns are paying the lawyers' bills. But really, Sarver's paying the lawyers' bills. And so there is always going to be that sort of context involved and you have to keep that in mind as a investigation this isn't like the u.s attorney investigating it this is like they'll they'll run a really good process they'll comply with all the laws they need to do but if it's like we're gonna find out the truth here and like the truth will set you this is not that's not what these things are designed to do they're part of a marketing and pr campaign to you know sort of kind of kind of delay or reduce hopefully but at least delay sort of any kind of consequences and you know, just sort of wait, wait it out. So, so he's got really good lawyers doing it. So, I'm sure they will do run a really good process, but it's not, it's sort of like the stuff with Dan side of the NFL. Like, they didn't even, that was a really good lawyer. That was a lawyer that used to work at my old law firm, and um, she's one of the best lawyers in the country. And, and Beth Wilkinson, but she, she just did an oral report. It was like, it was kind of like sixth grade and you forget to write your paper. and You're like, can I give an oral report? Is that, is that, uh, <laughs> is that acceptable? it's like, yeah, an oral report is perfect because nothing's written down. So we'll just, if, uh, if the Wachtell Lipton lawyers give, uh, Penny and Robert Sarver an oral report, then, uh, <laughs> it's, that's trouble.
1: This is a good lawyer's corner. So, um, so like delay, 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 but when it comes to like the PR battle, I mean, is there really much of an angle to try to spin the PR? Like, it just seems like that's kind of a lost cause these days.
2: Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I don't think you spin it. I think at this point, what the legal process is allowing them to do is have something the NBA can point to um, when they get asked, like, why aren't you acting on these things that he's, you know, because it's not like that article had, I think he interviewed like 70 people. Like, it's, there's a lot of. There was a lot there and a lot of corroboration from many different people about his behavior. And to your point, D, he did respond like um, point by point. And he responded. It's it's very important. He responded. Um, he resp- I think he had a law firm involved in his response. I think they responded on his behalf. So it's like he's looking at it like... Um, He's not only concerned about losing the team and the NBA process, but also like any potential criminal or not even criminal, excuse me, but just any civil damage, any sort of lawsuit, any any legal risk to him personally as as well. Um, and I'm not, I, I definitely like, I don't think lawyering up means you're guilty. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that it's
1: just a smart thing to do. Right?
2: Police officers, you know, makes their job easier if you don't do it, for example, and so my recommendation to anyone I know is if you ever get involved with the police in any sort of way, you just automatically ask for your lawyer and you know, and maybe you don't even have a lawyer, but just say, I need to talk to my lawyer. And again, it's sort of the same thing, right? It's the mini version of this. It's like you delay the situation. So you're not just kind of caught up in something and sort of make mistakes. So, but this whole purpose is just to, um, give Adam silver cover, um, to not have to make a move like he did with Sterling. Um, And so we're running a process. We have an investigation and we saw it with, we saw it with the Reds, with the Washington football team, former Redskins. It's, you know, it was like, they did this investigation, Beth Wilkinson did the oral, oral report, got her passing grade from the owners. They find Snyder 10 million bucks. They make his wife, president he's on like a leave of absence and they kind of just like trying to see if this thing will like go away and then now john gruden and and all his other stuff's going down because of it it's just like whoa because it is like when you're again maybe this is like a longer lawyer corner than any of our listeners want but like 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 that does happen like where you're investigating something and you're basically when you say when you do an investigation you get you put in requests um, you know, for documents and emails. And if, if part of it is like you're investigating your own client to try and just make sure like what actually was done and said, you're trying to understand the situation from their perspective. And then if you're in a sort of adversarial legal situation, you eventually have to share those documents and emails to a certain degree with the other side. So the weird dynamic is because like, Beth Wilkinson was working for the Washington football team and the NFL, it's like, who's your client exactly? That's the other thing, is like, you never want to be in a situation where a a lawyer is representing multiple people or multiple, like a company and a person, because, like, (laughs) if they shouldn't be doing that, but if they are doing it and you're the less, like, Sort of uh, wealthy or influential or valuable client in the future, like <laughs> you better find your own lawyer. Um, so, um, but this, what what happens in these investigations is that you'll know, have a bunch of like young lawyers. Um, sometimes they'll be like on at the law firm, or there might even be like contracts lawyers who just specialize in helping out reviewing. And you literally sit there, and the technology has probably changed as I last did it years ago. But you're just sitting there and like reviewing emails and like the first thing what you do is you you um you denote if they're responsive or not to like the legal matter at issue um but in the course of doing that you might see a lot of stuff that like you're like because it's just like some person's email right and they they never think like someone's going to read my email like you know the that's for, the
0: moral of the story. Yeah, Dan Gruden doesn't think. Yeah, Allen. Really
2: yeah, Allen. You know the the president of the Redskins or the Washington team never thought like he's like whatever. Um, so yeah, like it's just it's so what happened to Gruden totally is possible because they re- reviewed like six hundred thousand emails or something at least like you're going to see some like people are you know have, we all have issues you're going to see stuff like that. And so, think, go ahead.
0: Do you think Neil Olshay might get fired as the result of the Phoenix Suns investigation? <laughs> sure.
1: true. <sure. laughs> Real yeah. quick here. So the lesson I'm getting from this is be careful when you write emails to not say derogatory things about people in positions of power. And if you ever get in trouble, lawyer up immediately.
2: (laughs) And even if you're not in trouble, if you ever talk to someone where there's legal, if there's any potential legal jeopardy, it's like, I'm not saying you actually hire the lawyer, pay the lawyer, you just say there's a lawyer I need to talk to. Thank you. And then... um, yeah, don't feel don't feel bad about doing that. That's what I remind my kids about. Do not feel bad to ask for a lawyer. Um, Doesn't so mean I was kind of poking
1: fun at the lawyers when I was doing my my version of the summary of, of his response. Uh.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's it's uh, it's right, and I, I think these. I just think these guys. It's it's interesting to see how this like works its way out in the wash, and I think you know all these guys are trying to hold on as long as they can right you even you see in government right it's just they they try and st- hold hold on hold on hold on and then see if things sort of start to to die down right i mean mm. um that's sort of where our culture is unfortunately um where you you don't want to admit you did wrong or to your point d it's like oh i did these kind of specific things but this was a misunderstood thing and i may have said that but this was the context and so it's not not a big deal, um, so yeah. But to your point before, D, I'll finish on this: is that um, uh, there was a former lawyer, attorney general in New York, who said like something like, "If um, it was something like, um, like basically, instead of writing something down, it's better um, to call someone." And it's better to, than to call someone to talk in person. And then if you can't talk in person, you probably shouldn't be talking about it at all. <laughs> of course, that was Elliot Spitzer. So he, he didn't follow his own. He didn't follow his own. His the
0: kids own. at home, go Wikipedia. His own, his own, uh, wherever his,
2: the kids at home, do not go. Yeah, do not, please. Yes. Wikipedia. Yes. Any any father, son listeners. Um, yeah, so it's a really yeah. So we'll see where it goes with Sarver again. It's 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 really like um, can he delay it long enough where he can give you know Adam Silver an off ramp to not try and kick him out and do what they did to uh, Sterling.
0: Nice. Well, what, what I think is well, the fascinating thing is when the rubber meets the road. What drove so much of the Sterling stuff, I think, largely was the players' response, and and I'm curious. In a different situation, it was the audio
2: too, though it was the audio
0: that would, became so. Some someone taped right. him,
2: yeah, I think that was the thing. It's like because right now, I mean, Chris Paul and Monty are in a horrible position because I all know servers, like everyone knows, like this yeah. this like piece did not shock anyone in the NBA like community that this is out there, right? And so it kind of is tough because like Monty Williams is a great guy and like. Chris Paul's a leader, and he leads the player association. And they all chose to go work for this scumbag that everyone knew. I mean, we all knew. Everybody's like, yeah, we, everyone knew Sarver was like this. We have all read the goats article. <laughs> like we knew he was, he had issues and problems. Um, but I think the fact that they had the recordings was like that was huge that Sterling got taped and like saying that stuff because I think if Sarver had been taped saying the stuff he is accused of saying and, and i know dispute some of it i think that would be like it'd be much much harder to your point michael for everyone to be like well let's let the investigation let's not rush to judgment here but when you hear it it's like well what else are we going to learn by an investigation you know you can get all the lawyers you want but it doesn't matter
1: Yeah. When I heard Monty's response, I was like, that's an impossible situation because there's also there's also going to be an element of self-preservation, too, that you are still working for these people. I mean, I don't think Monty's like worried about losing his job, but you're trying to say you're trying to straddle a line. And it's like we should be sensitive to the difficult position that he's being put in. And you just want to advise him, like, say less. Don't say too much because yes, you start saying too much. Things are gonna you're gonna say something that can get that's either gonna open up another
0: door or get taken out of context or you know Or say more. I mean I think that's the thing. I mean this oh. guy the guy's a scumbag and they have the opportunity to like strike while the iron's hot. I mean if the, that's my thing with I think this circumstance is, is he Sarver clearly a guy who shouldn't be on an NBA team. I mean, he was, he sold the eighth pick in the draft like 15 years ago. So just on basketball grounds, he shouldn't be an owner, <laughs> oh, yeah. let alone all, the, all the, the, the nonsense that's going on in the organization. So to me, I'm like, you know, they have the opportunity. I mean, if the players said, you know, this is, the, this is the way, I mean, put him on a leave of absence, run your investigation, but he's gone while it happens. And then, you know, they, you put the, you put the wheels in motion. I mean, he's going to get like, like $3 billion anyway. I mean, it's like, you know, getting this money and just move on with their lives and, and you know, that all goes away. I mean, that to me feels like the most, the best opportunity. The problem is, is like, none, I mean, this is what happened with this, the, the Sonics vote, right? Is like no owner wants to be told they have to sell their team. So none of the other owners are going to be the guys, you know, to, to pull that trigger. So it has to be the league, or or better yet, the the players at the end of the day, uh, to in order to to make that happen. And it feels like it's right for that to happen. I just it doesn't seem like. I mean, I think we, they may have missed the wave in terms of pushing that forward.
2: Yeah, it's 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 sort of though the like you come with the king, you best not miss situation because, like, if they come out that hard and then Sarver survives, like, you know. <laughs> It's like all right. Well, I'll just move on. <laughs> like I don't. It's a little awkward. Um, but yeah, it is interesting in this era, like of you know, p- players having more influence and power. Um, particularly that, like, I you mean, know, obviously, all the things different people went through. Particularly the people who had to go on, you know, off the record, um, just because they, or like at least, could not give their names around their statements, just because of the fear of retaliation because of where they fit and kind of the NBA ecosystem as a staff or what have you. But Earl Watson was like a legit NBA guy player for a long time. He was a head coach as an assistant coach and for him to come out and to sort of take that risk and, and do that is really, really, you know, it's really amazing. And, you know, I guess that's maybe to your point, Michael, there ha- doesn't appear to have been like sort of a rally around that, um, and it's interesting, like, if this, you kind of, we talked about with Cuban, I think, recently. It's like, if Cubans, kind of the, the things that came out about how his organization was run kind of came out a few years before Me Too movement coming into, into the fore, or even some of the, um, you know, Black Lives Matter protests things, um, and then now you have the Sarver situation. Like, if it had come out, like, a year ago, like if it had come out during the uh, bubble, when you know people, you know teams were like um, basically striking for, you know, stopping playing games because of things going on in the culture, you could have seen like a lot of energy being like focused on this situation. Um, but there's a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of pressure to put on those guys, and I, and I think the Sterling situation was just sort of. Everyone knew about him, even maybe more than Sarver. But then again, having those tapes and hearing him and his like voice talk about people and um, describe people—I mean, it was really crazy. I went. The craziest part is they—they—they they, they beat the Warriors <laughs> in the playoffs that year. Yeah. I mean, I went to one of those games game in LA. Set. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. That was all going down. Um, but I think the fact that it was so over the top that it allowed kind of everyone's space to do it. Because like, to your point, Michael, no, one, they don't want to do that unless they absolutely have to because it could be them next. It's the only reason I think Dan Snyder still has, hasn't been kicked out of the league because of owning an NFL franchise because none of the other guys want them do it to them later.
1: And I think, and I think it's good, good to hear Michael's, uh, Maybe contrary viewpoint on that, not contrary, but like the other angle of that, because it seems I I think for Paul and for Monty Williams, this is not their 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 last word on it. Like feel like they're saying, no, we're going to wait for the investigation. So where you had exactly with Sterling. But now, like, we're going to let it play out. But exactly if if when that's done, right, then it's going to be back on them to then make that choice of how they need to respond and obviously if yes if yeah, the mission, mission, the right thing.
2: mission accomplished though right I mean that's exactly what why you have an investigation it's because it <laughs> exactly. allows exactly. everyone cover to be like hey we're gonna because it is it, it like it it actually like totally makes sense to have that position and it, it is like the reasonable position is like well I'm not going to rush to judgment if the, I want to see what actually comes out of this, of this investigation before I come to a conclusion. That's a very reasonable, and I think, like, speaks to those guys' maturity. That's a good thing. But, like, again, like, Robert Sarver's paying the bills, and he's not telling them to hurry. I'll tell you that much. He's, like, you know, they're sending him emails and saying, hey, are you ready to have, you know, we've done our initial investigation. We have some, you know, we have a report we want to submit. And it's, like, you know, he's AWOL for weeks at a time. You know, it's just, like... It's just going to take its own, its own life. And then, um, obviously, these lawyers have to have their own credibility. Like, they're not going to, um, you know, they're not going to, like, they're going to follow their own ethical responsibilities. But it's still, there's still the broader context in play. And I do think it is different. Like, if they were investigating, like, a company. Like, I read the book. Um, it's a good, really good book. It's about, um, about Uber. And, like, the founding of Uber. Um, let's look up the name. It's, it's a really good book. It's actually going to be, there's going to be a, uh, I think, an HBO series about it. Um, so, definitely keep your eyes open. Super pumped. The Battle for Uber. So, they brought in some lawyers to do an investigation because of, like, I mean, they had a really, their culture was very toxic. Right. And so, they brought in an investigation. Eric Holder, former attorney general, mm. you know. Um, again, sort of the classic, like you bring in a big name, someone that's, and, and that one actually had a huge impact, but it, I think it was primary, it's it, because it was a, you know, it was a company, they weren't public yet, but it was still like a company that was owned by a lot of different people, and even though the founder, who was like the main um, impetus behind the culture and a lot of the things came back negative about him and sort of hit people close to him and the culture he had set up. He and he still he ran the company, he was by far the most important person of the company he owned a good chunk of the company. There were still a lot of other people, a lot of other people with ownership and influence there. And so basically that report like the lawyers had more motivation to you know they had a broader audience to speak to. Um, this is an audience of one. Like, again, like, NBA will use it. Chris Paul and Monty Williams will use the report and the, and the investigation to, like, inform their decision-making. But there's not, like – no one has a piece of the action. Like, it's just Robert Sarver, and that's who this report is going to go to. So it's just, like, it's a – I think if it was, like, more of a normal company with a lot of different stakeholders, then um, – and I'm not saying he owns 100% of the team. Like, I know most of the teams aren't set up that way, but he's the majority owner. He's the main guy. And so there's just not a lot of other, like, no one else is pushing for this, you know, outside the NBA to a certain degree. Um, so it's just keep our expectations, um, you know, kind of modest with how this all plays out. So
0: you're telling me I shouldn't have high expectations for basically a sham report. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no 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 yeah yeah, yeah. i mean I'm, I'm a lawyer too I, it'd never be a sham report but i just say oh,
0: okay. never
2: i mean come on man uh we take our it's, we have professional ethical <laughs> responsibilities but like i
0: mean no we do that, but but it's that's like, a wide that's a wide gate to walk through on this one
2: yeah it's just it's not a third party it's that's the biggest thing is it's like we hear investigation i think most people understandably think oh this is like you know, again, like the U.S. Attorney or the Attorney General or some like someone's investigating this that has no, all they want to do is seek out the truth. And that's their only goal.
0: Yeah, th- there's no accountability in it. Yeah, it's I mean- it, it's it
2: it can be used to get accountability, but like I again, Robert Sarver chose to do this. Like he, you know, it could be that Ab Silver said you have to, or there's to be consequences, maybe, but. He chose to do it. So it's not like it's, you know, this isn't a criminal investigation where like there's someone out there who really, not that their motives are pure either, but not that they like some, you know, again, district attorney wants to go out and dig for the truth and kind of take down the big guys. This is, this is a, it's a marketing and PR strategy and this is part of it.
1: We're not ready to fully leave the topic yet because uh, already accused of. Inept management of the Trailblazers. Neil O'Shea is now also being accused of misconduct and creating a hostile work environment. It will be. Interesting Was he accused by
0: Damian Lillard?
1: <laughs> we'll wait for the investigation. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it will be interesting to see if O'Shea blames this one on Terry Stotts too, as uh, becoming the running joke. Uh, did you guys know that O'Shea? He used to be a soap opera actor. Yeah, he's an actor. <laughs> he's a TV star. I this from my brother today. I mean, yeah, he was on One Life to Live. All my children. Yep. I mean, I thought he looked familiar.
0: I mean, it not, <laughs> again, it does not fit the bill, though, man. Holy smokes!
1: I mean it does. If you want to give me a hard time for for knowing the soap opera reference. Keep in mind that I'm a Gen Xer, and I had an older sister, so everyone in soap operas a little bit. If, uh, if you're if you have an older sister, so.
2: don't throw Marshall under the bus, D. Come on.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's wow. yeah, it's a um, yeah, it's, that's a really hard hard situation. I mean, I because and then, and their president just re- resigned, correct? Like that was another.
1: Yeah, Chris McGowan because yeah, they, people were breaking news. Blazers are having a press conference tomorrow. Is this the is this the final uh, nail in the coffin for Olshay? Are they gonna announce that he's gone? And uh, no, it's it's a uh, it's Chris McGowan who has been more of the. I think he's mostly handled the business side of things, uh, as opposed to the the basketball realm. Um, so he he's the guy making the call to change the announcers every two years, but. Um, I mean,
0: <laughs> um, well. Well, much of the reporting, I think by the, I think Jason quick in the athletic reported that it was largely to do with, he wanted to take, he had a desire to take a stronger leadership role across the entirety of the organization, not necessarily in pure basketball ops, but I think he kind of shuddered at the idea of Neil Shea being the voice of the Blazers, given that that hasn't gone so well mm-hmm. <laughs> over the last few years. Um, and, I, and it and it it sounds like with Paul Allen passing, that was that was a big, that was a big um, change in McGowan's role because of again how close he was with Paul Allen and Vulcan and the Seahawks and I mean a whole variety of things. So I, I think it is, um, it's a, it's fascinating to see the upheaval. But I mean I can't just this process I think with ownership being so out to lunch on accountability. For, for such a public individual like Neil O'Shea, I mean, I'm going through, we're, through something similar with the with the University of Washington football team. I mean, up until just a few days ago or yesterday, I guess, you know, our, our head football coach was clearly kind of operating in these like subpar spaces. And and, and in, whether it's Neil O'Shea or Jimmy Lake, you just, you have these public figures that you know, the, part of the entertainment value is that people are rapidly following their performance and evaluating them in more sophisticated ways than we ever have before. And yet, you know that the criticisms are fair and abundant. And yet, their supervisors—whether whether it's Jen Cohen at UW as the athletic director or it's Jody Allen as as the the owner of the Trailblazers—I mean, they both just seem out to lunch. Like there wasn't a lot of awareness, and I don't understand what drives this? not necessarily that even the axe has to fall immediately but it seems like there would be changes made right there'd be a someone you'd be striving for some semblance of accountability and you just haven't seen anything change in the blazers organization that gives you any hope that, that something will right outside of this investigation uh you know it's it's it there doesn't seem to be a lot of hope that anything would change in in the organization it just it just kind of befuddles me that again time and time again he kind of sticks his foot in his mouth he says the wrong thing you know he he's made some questionable decisions along the way it seems like the the everybody in portland and the franchise is ready for a fresh start but i'm not sure they're going to get it outside of this this result of the the investigation
1: so you don't think it's possible that Jodie Allen, like behind the scenes, was is actually kind of a mover and shaker, and she started this whole investigation, and she leaked it, and it's like when they uh, when we were Saturday Night Live with uh, in the in the Reagan presidency when he was being portrayed as uh, older and aloof and uh, just totally out to lunch, and then they'd have a Saturday Night Live skit, Phil Hartman playing Ronald Reagan, and then you know, he'd have a, a thing out in public where he was just sort of nonchalant, and then he'd pull everyone into the office and pull out maps and, you know, play and say, all right, guys, here's what we're gonna do, and just complete, completely the opposite of the perception that we would have had of him. So I didn't know Jody, Jody Allen does have an ax to grind with Ol' Shea and is making this all happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, go back into the little corner for a minute. I do think the dynamics of this investigation are different because the um you know, Jody Allen isn't isn't um well, maybe she should be, but she's not hiring them to investigate herself, although I know she's had some um there's been some complaints historically about her behavior as well. Um so this stuff gets very complicated, but the fact that you know she's been the one to bring in um, melvin and myers the law firm doing the investigation of O'Shea, is you know it makes this more likely to be a um this is more likely a process that then um will you know will most likely end in O'Shea leaving um and this process will mitigate any risks associated with that from like an employment perspective um, and may even give them the opportunity to to fire him with cause. Um, so I, I think this is actually kind of more closer to what a situation you would find in the corporate world, um, where if a senior executive, um, you know, these things are going on, then you would, you know, you consider taking that approach.
1: But does it? Do you think it will need to be something pretty, pretty blatant? That I mean, there's wrongdoing and like a pattern of behavior. But does do they have to find something that's really sort of over the top that would 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 kind of lead to his exit? You know what I mean? Does yeah. That, no. I mean, be a...
2: yeah. I don't think it's again. This is all sort of like what culture you know you want to have, and um, and then also sort of. Um, you know, there is, if you're looking just kind of at cost benefit analysis in you know, a kind of a cold way, it's just, you know, what are the legal risks associated with it? You know, most likely it would be, see you know, private claims from the, um, complainants that are on the, on the staff and our employees. And so there's, there's definitely a risk associated with that, which is part of the investigation as well. So I don't, I don't think it needs to be, um, it's really jody allen's decision she can she can i mean she could fire olshay tomorrow i mean she that's a great idea
0: depending on well, that's what's <laughs> so weird with all of these situations
2: well i think i mean i think it's either there's two there's two reasons you you do this in in this situation um well, the, kind of the overarching reasons, this is kind of what you do when these things kind of come up like this and they become like a public thing is that you you get an investigation and doing that of like an executive again is like a different dynamic. So either Jody Allen's doing this to try and save Shea, because she's like, we'll go through this process and then, you know, we'll I can use that as, you know, depending on what comes out of it, if it's not. "Quote unquote" as serious, or you know, if the if the if the investigation finds the allegations wanting, then that may lay the groundwork for her to keep Olshay. And then again, the, the I think the more likely scenario is that you go through this um, just to like mitigate legal risk. Where if you just tomorrow go fire Ol Olshay, um, number one, most likely as an employment agreement, you can't fire him. know firing for cause where you don't have to pay him any more money is is a big thing and then also um, even if you fire him without cause and pay out whatever's due under his employment agreement you know there's still a chance that he could um, there's still some legal risk associated with that right That he gets you know if he gets fired under what he thinks are unfair circumstances, then there's risk there. So this is a very natural move to do that. It just depends, like what Jody Allen wants to do in the end. Um, so to answer your question, D, it, it depends. Um, uh, but the well, fact- isn't
1: drafting Myers Leonard grounds for bustle?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, thought losing I just the think Montana it's interesting yeah it is is it i mean to your point michael it's like jimmy lake for us washington football fans it's like a very similar thing where um like in the end they decided to fire him without cause and pay him his whatever is due under his contract um and to move on from that um again to i think the point you jody allen could have done that already um now, again, you, you'd want to have some sort of agreement, which I'm sure like Jimmy Lake and the university have about settling up kind of what it'll look like going forward with them and the money will be paid and everything. So you want that with O'Shea as well, but um, it's definitely possible. I, I just think it's really fascinating to me just from like thinking about these teams. One question I've always had is like who actually makes the call? Like who's the powerful, um, who really calls the shots within an organization? on the basketball side and yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, you know, some teams take the, like you have the like kind of godfather of all the team, both business and basketball side, And then you have a general manager reporting to them. And then in this case, a lot of times you have a business side and then a basketball side that report in, in different ways. Um, So, and and I also just find it fascinating that it's, it makes you realize that it's so much different getting a job and then kind of keeping up the relationships that allow you to stay in your job than actually being good at your job. Um, I think we talked about Olshay was an actor. Like he seemed like he's really good at like engaging with people and sort of, um, you know, making them like, you know, kind of play a role and getting them to buy into what he's doing. Cause it's like, yeah, a lot of the stuff he's done, um, substantively hasn't really worked out that well um so it's interesting to see how these dynamics all play out
1: he's got what uh at least outsiders would call a superficial charm but uh, i guess maybe <laughs> if there's someone in a circle <laughs> and he's got power you know he can whatever well i was looking back and he it,
2: they even noted like mcgowan came on like right after he did and i guess O'Shea and like the initial co- like the, the welcome like uh, press conference from McGowan years ago was like, just making like, emphasizing that like oh basketball I'm not I don't report to this guy I'm doing my own thing I'm the basketball guy, and I think it's also like, I mean. You know, Paul and Jordy Allen, RIP to Paul, but like they're probably they're not the most like, I mean they're not like. Yeah, you know, Bill Gates was the CEO. Paul Allen was the CEO. I don't think Jody Allen was the CEO. So it's not like they're like really strong on the management side of things. Like obviously brilliant dude and like did incredibly important things and you know, gave a lot of money, supported a lot of people. He you know big in the space race. Um, but remember, remember so. when Allen
1: became became friends with some of the like the Hollywood moguls like um, David geffen oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah he'd go on their, yeah. he'd go on their
2: yachts and everything yeah. yeah
1: and they all he was so socially awkward and they're all like hey if you're gonna hang out with us like, <laughs> you need to wear shirts with a little more color and like those glasses like from the 80s like we need to give like you know he's some, like some, some sh- he's like
2: shave the beard yeah right paul yeah, you gotta shave the
1: bothered so they had him look better. I don't know if uh, his, his personality really.
2: Well, part of that too is, is he was the biggest investor in DreamWorks SKG. Like this is like oh, yes. the the Gaff and Spielberg Katzenberg uh, production yeah. company. So yes. they they made buddies with him, and he gave him a lot of cash, and he took a wash on that on that investment. Yeah. I think so. I mean, he did really well a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Um, he did in Mancusellis for a while. I mean, he definitely like. his his, like early his early blazers ownership when they were so good and he had like yeah he had like he looked like a lumberjack in the like in the (laughs) a speckled lumberjack computer programmer in the front
1: row right and always at that seat (laughs) right behind the basket what's up do you guys want to talk any any, uh, any basketball? <laughs> this is, I've actually enjoyed this. Right it's a very good lawyer
2: corner. Uh, this will be a this will be a see. test. Can, <laughs> producer Michael, can we tell if people um, we can tell if they download or listen to the episode? Can we tell how long they listen to the episode? Because <laughs> this might be. <laughs> I think we've lost. I think Brock Hartman's still with us. Maybe a few others, but uh, I don't know it has been a this has been a lawyer co- corner episode uh,
1: i enjoyed it that was great uh, so little hoops we have a lot of parody seems the theme i mean a lot of i've said that some of the elite teams are coming back uh in, into what we would have anticipated them but we still have like the cavaliers the
0: wizards obviously uh, Well, i'm curious i'm no curious lebron what for the lakers What's what's everyone's favorite surprise or any surprises that have stuck out to you? I think, I think the rookies so far. I think particularly Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley to me have have really jumped out. They're just they're way they're way more ready than I anticipated them being. I mean, Mobley like might be the best player on the Cavs uh, as a nineteen year old big man, which is just sort of unfathomable considering all the different things he does defensively and the, and the repertoire he has offensively. And then Barnes just having been sort of a one through five defender guy with like a, Hey, he might become an offensive threat over time. He can pass the rock, but really, I mean, he, he is a focal point for the Raptors regularly. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what, what's expected to you guys, but those two have been a joy for me to watch so far.
2: I think for me, it's that Steve Kerr was right. I like so far I can't really because it doesn't really make sense I mean I know they got like a bunch of minimum guys um, that fit better right I mean I think to your point earlier Michael it's like they, they seem to not have any guys that are really killing them you know Oubre really struggled with them I think he struggled with, even his current you know with the with, with Charlotte he struggled as well so the addition by subtraction. They're playing pool a lot where last year he didn't really play till the end of the season. So that might be the biggest difference. And then they have these other kind of um, back of rotation guys that have come in and really contributed a lot um, in their s- small amount of minutes. But he's Kerr's still doing it the same way he did it before. He's like, it's not like Steph's running pick and roll. Like it's, it's, they're still running like their offense. And, um, and then I hear like they're talking about Kaminga this week. And I know it's like, he's the coach, but he's still like, I think someone asked him or he was talking about comparing Kaminga to Kawhi and how he's kind of reminds him of Kawhi. <laughs> you're just like, I mean, <laughs> it's like easy, but Kaminga does. I mean, he, you see him out there. That guy is an athlete and he like, it's actually like working and you're, you're just kind of like, wow, like Kaminga's getting some minutes and kind of earning his time, which like, you know, never happened with wise men and kind of made Kerr and, Steph and Draymond upset. So I, I think to your point earlier, D, they they've definitely played a weaker schedule and they've been home a lot. But they're blowing people out. I mean, they they have a 12 point differential. I mean, that's I, I think one of the things um I think in NBA and also the NFL, I think too, is like just blowing people out is like even if you're playing like a bad team, if you're beating teams by a lot of points, then like that's actually like an underrated part of being a great team is just destroying the bad teams and they've been doing that um so that's the part that's to me i had them top four i didn't have them in the finals like michael but i definitely had them as like good team but the fact that they like they've carried on the last part of last season and they and they um and it's not like steph has played crazy great I mean, He's said some good games but he's not playing crazy um I still think Wiseman may come back and run it all for them, but uh <laughs> looking good right now. And I'm, I'm I'm surprised about that. Kudos to Steve Kerr for uh sticking to his guns.
1: Yeah, I think the I mean the Cavaliers are, are a surprise. Um I I think Mo, Mobley is a big key to that. Um the guard I mean they lost uh they lost Sexton to the knee injury. I don't, I think he's out for a while. But uh just the fact that they've got They've got the two big guys like Mobley uh, playing with Jared Allen, and then I guess Markin has been injured too. But he was making a good contribution. You got Kevin Love. It's just kind of a random uh, assortment of players they have, but they're they're doing well. And the Wizards, I mean, not a surprise to you, Michael, because you uh, you called this. You know, I don't think you called them being number one at this point, but uh, you spoke highly of them. So uh, (laughs) pretty pretty impressive.
0: I mean with the Hawks and the Wizards we were I was just one year early, really really. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's with the? I mean the Hawks are they going to be able to to turn the ship here or are they have they gone back to where we thought they you
0: guys thought they would be previously kind of mediocre? I don't, I, mean, I so, don't know. I think God. there's I think both them and the Bucks, I mean you just wonder these teams that I think have maybe have feel like they have less to prove. Are you just wonder if they're bringing it every night? I mean, I think this is this is something that I've noticed in just watching that there's a weird variance. I think this year of just there's teams that sometimes just don't show up, right? I mean, that's what's been so interesting I think about the Warriors is by you know all 13 games they've played in, they've either shown up and won by a lot or or lost in a close one. In the, in the losses of the Hornets and the Grizzlies. So it's I think what's fascinating is the kind of ups and downs of some of these teams. And you'll see, you know, I mean, basically all of the top 10 good teams in both conferences, you have these stretches where they're great, and then there's times where they're not, right? And maybe that's what parity looks like. I mean, maybe we're even finding more parity in, in the season that's um, kind of ahead of us. But uh, I, I have to sort of imagine that both the Bucks and the Hawks at a certain point, they're going to start defending in ways that, is is gonna be, you know, more focused, more assertive, and and all of a sudden they're gonna kind of st- click back to normal. Um, I do think the Hawks. I mean, the Hawks just have a lot of guys. I mean, their rotations are a bit unique in terms of just how much, you know. How many dudes they have? Uh, you kind of wonder sometimes if that's if they have a guy too many, and especially considering they've already indicated they're probably not going to pay everyone, you wonder what that looks like from a from a trade perspective, even if it's a sort of an invest in the future type of trade. Oh, and Hunter got um, hurt again,
2: I mean, Hunter's hurt.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: So that's. I mean, to your point, I, I just think their wings have not played well. You know, at least yeah. offensively, it's like they're not. That was where they were really like tough last year was that Collins, again, looking more on the offensive side, but Collins had really ex- embraced his role. Um, and it, it seems like this year he's played well offensively, obviously young Capella to a certain degree, but the wings just really haven't played. And maybe to your point, Michael, it's just, there's just not a lot of, they don't have a rotation yet. They don't have like, these are our guys with, you know, Reddish and Hunter being back. But I mean, those two Herder. like they haven't really done, they need one or two of those guys to step up. Um, And it's hard. I mean, I I think it is hard. Like it's, um, it's playoff basketball is so weird because on one hand it's everyone can like, can you focus so much on the other opponent, you can really go deep with them. So they can't get away with the stuff. You can get away with in the regular season when you're going night to night with a different team. At the same time though, it's like, super hard if a team gets a lot better late in the season or even in the playoffs and go to a different level and players start doing things in different ways. Like Kevin Herter was amazing in the playoffs last year. So it's just like, and obviously young stepped up even more and it's just, I don't think you can adapt as easily in that moment, even though you're totally focused on them. It's this quandary where you, you can't really like adjust, um, you can't take a step back in perspective and say, okay, this is how we're going to deal with this where you had the whole summer. And now, you know what the Hawks like to do when they have that run and it's easier to take it away. So um, mm. hopefully they, I hope they can kind of get, get things going, get things going again. I think the fact that Collins is playing well is really good for them for the long run. Um, I don't know. I, I still wonder about the investment in Capella. I know he's been playing, he's rebounding and he's doing fine, but it's just Okay, my answer to, Teams that are struggling is always to go small, so maybe try and get more of those wings in there and, like, kind of let them do stuff. Um, but, I mean, I think we got to give it some more time, too. It's, it's been a weird couple of years.
1: You must uh, enjoy the – is it the Raptors? Are they playing Siakam at center? They're going small. Maybe – I don't know if they're starting with maybe, like, Birch, but uh, it feels like they're having at least large segments of the game. And they're they're a pretty exciting team. Uh, they're kind of fulfilling what you were hoping for them, right, Ryan? Or yeah, yeah. No, they're
2: <laughs> they're they're. I mean, I, yeah. I just think that's the thing that Nigeria, their GM. No, it's like having these like guys. And Scotty Barnes being the best example. Just having guys who can kind of play all different types of positions. Because the weird thing is, is that I mean, I guess they have it with Collins and maybe Hunter and Reddish. I guess I don't know. It's just like they, they, they're not getting a lot of, like, Herder's not like that. I mean, he's tall. He can score for a two guard or three, but he's not, like, going to be able to guard people and be flexible that way. And definitely not McDonald's. So it's just, yeah, when you don't have guys like that, I mean, Collins is pretty flexible, but, and then, and then having Young is tough because it's like he does, like, again, like, I think keep figuring out how to attack him and, um, just creates some unique issues. So, um, But, yeah, I do – I mean, what Barnes is doing is amazing, like to Michael's earlier point. I think that's the part I think we're still catching up on. I've talked about before. is like these guys are getting trained. Even Scotty Barnes, who didn't go into, like, the G League Ignite, you know, like – or Immobile, right? They both went to college for a year. But, like, they're training – they're training, like, NBA players since they were – 14, 15. I mean they're, like they they're doing like drills and getting trained by people. It's not like the thing where you know they have their hand I mean they I think they still still exist, right? They still have the AU handlers and the shoe company. All that stuff still going on, but I I really think what's changed is like um the skill development pieces is off the charts. And so I think these guys are getting they're coming in having like learn the thing; they're getting taught the things they have to do to be good at the NBA right away. Like, you think about Tyson and Chandler, right? I mean, Mobley, I think is better than Chandler, but kind of really tall, athletic guy from L.A. Chandler came directly to the pros. Um, and you just see the difference, like, Mobley 20 years later, like, what he can do. <clears throat> I mean, Zach Lowe talked about a lot. It's like the, you know, run, pick, and roll. He can play with Allen. He can play center. He can kind of, he can, like, he knows where to pass the ball off pick and roll. Um, maybe part of it is the fact that pick and roll has become such the dominant paradigm in basketball that it's like, you just start running that, like no one runs motion anymore. They all run pick and roll. Like you kind of, I don't know. It's just, it's just interesting to think about like to Michael's, but why these guys are coming in and they're so good at the small things. (laughs) Cause it's like, if you're super athletic and gifted, you have a lot of skill that you've developed and you know how to do the little things when you're. This is like Steve Kerr's dream. He's like, you know, it's like, he knows, he knows 98 rotations on defense. It's amazing. It's the best.
1: (laughs) Seems like uh, Barnes' only weak point, because he can, yeah, he really is versatile. He can, he can pass. He's great on the boards. Uh, But uh, the three-point shot will be the next step for him to to develop. But I don't think he takes very many of it. But he shoots a really good percent. They said that that was the knock on him, right? They didn't have much much offensive game. But I was watching him tonight, and he, whenever he had a chance to go one on one, he would take it, and he was he was scoring. It's, yeah, impressive. How about the Suns? Speaking of, uh, of the good teams, the teams that have, that are able to blow teams out, the Suns have been doing that without ayton as well. He came back tonight but had the uh, knee contusion issue. It's fair, d that's fair. I like.
2: I like that. The big three. It's clearly Great the problem,
0: right? I mean, the malcontent in your rotation is not. It's not good for anybody.
1: Wait, who's the malcontent?
0: aiden man
1: oh well his knee was hurt you think that was uh there's more going on no
0: no i think it was a hit job man paul's gonna get sarver and aiden out of there <laughs> i was a little
1: concerned when when uh, frank kaminsky had like 35 points i'm like hey this isn't good for uh my fantasy team if uh you know kaminsky's the if, if, they, if they feel that aiden is expendable that's not good
2: did he have that 35 against the blazers
1: yeah, oh yeah
2: the point. <laughs> speaking of a team with no no, no flexibility at all <laughs> no Robert Covington man it's just like Oof. it's tough I mean we, we like we're, I think we were all pretty excited about it when he, two years ago or a year and yeah. a half ago now and then seemed like the perfect fit but then it, we all recognized he doesn't really do much except to play team defense and shoot threes but it's like it's just hard man I feel like if he was well, like 20, if he was like 10% better, they would be like, it would help them a lot. And if Powell was like three inches taller, you know, if they had a little bit on the edges, they'd be. It's just hard yeah. to overcome CJ and Dame, Damien when you have those so guys. If like Norm do
0: Powell it. was like Clay Thompson, I think they would be a better basketball team. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, well consistency. And for, if Robert Covington America, was Tayshaun Prince, which I think Chauncey Billups is talking like he was Tayshawn Prince, I mean, which is pretty I, I, crack me up. <laughs> So. Yeah, maybe
2: maybe Covington got ruined playing the small ball center, and he just kind of liked, you know, like Rasheed. Like once he's like, he posted up for a couple of years in Portland, and it was a, like a dominant low post scorer in the league, and then he just kind of didn't like to do it anymore, and then he just shot three. Like I think once you start becoming like, like all Robert Covington had to do was like try and guard centers and rebound and get out of Westbrook's way. It's like, it's just a threes. I mean, that's just like, that's a pretty simple, that's sort of like the, a simple thing. And they, they need more from him. Unfortunately. So what's the, where's Lillard, where do things stand with Lillard D you think he's keeping hope alive?
1: Well, he's got, I mean, uh, it seems like now we know a little more about what was contributing to the slump of his, the abdominal issues. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, are you talking about whether we're gonna part ways with him at some point?
2: Yeah, where where th- he's gonna get back? He's gonna come back. He's gonna get back to normal Dame Lillard status. Yeah, and I man. mean, I don't
1: know. Like Barkley was saying on TNT the other day, they 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 either need to trade him or they need to get him some more talent. Like that's what we've been saying <laughs> for last four months. Like we know this. Last four know years. <laughs> Take, take make sure old is no longer a GM and then we'll figure out the next step from there. First steps first.
2: I expect that comment from Shaq but come on Charles you gotta put a little bit more effort in buddy come on <laughs> <laughs> Shay ain't so Chuck I think
1: tonight He said, Luca also needs more talent, okay These are not groundbreaking revelations. That's what he
2: refers to how he's like he's been talk, people have talked people talking about being general managers but he prefers his current his current role. Be able to speak truth to the league. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so funny. He's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, it, as someone who was lower on the Mavs though, I mean, speaking of, of Doncic, I, I think that is, that's an interesting franchise I think for me right now again, because it's just, I, I don't really, they've played well, but I don't really believe it quite yet. Like it feels smoky in mirrors just because nothing's particularly changed from from last year, like, Oh, Porzingis is doing some stuff, I guess. Like, like it just <laughs> doesn't feel like it's going to last. Um, and then but it should be fun if it does.
1: Tonight. Well, I mean, we did, th- we've done about 50 times.
0: We
2: did say that we, I think we all felt like there were six teams in the West. Right. And maybe the Lake, the Lakers, obviously the one, but the first five are all kind of right there. I mean, I think the nuggets are similar to the Mavs. Michael, it's like, it's like, it's a little smoke and mirrory. Um, I mean, but again, Jokic and Doncic are so good. I think they're going to win fifty games just by them dominating. And then I think in the playoffs it will be a lot harder um, when they're playing better competition. Um, so, yeah.
0: It, well, it's fun. It does, it, it does feel like the name of the game, particularly in the West, is going to be who who can get healthy kind of in the, in the back half of the season and then down the stretch. I mean, obviously, we're still early, but, right, the Warriors guys have all been talked about, I mean, particularly Clay. Maybe maybe there's some subtraction by addition here with Wiseman. We'll see. <laughs> but, you know, Denver obviously has their fingers crossed the Clippers. You know, PG has sort of been unreal, so you kind of wonder what, what a Kawhi return looks like. And then even the Lakers, right? I mean, LeBron sort of is taking his sort of measured time, and they've had a variety of rotational pieces in the in the AARP club that have had to take some time off. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how how they coalesce. I mean, because the Westbrook. I mean, we haven't hit on the Westbrook thing. What a tire fire, man! The the Westbrook trade could not look any worse. Fifteen games into the season, um, I mean, they're they're pretty clearly you know five hundred in, in spite of his best efforts to really summering the entire franchise. Like is he a Manchurian candidate? Is that what his, his deal is? Do you think I think Scotty Brooks sent him. I blame I, blame.
2: I blame. I Scott Brooks. It's all. <laughs> it's all on Scott Brooks. <laughs> speaking,
0: speaking of Moribol ruining somebody. Oh man, yeah, that's yeah. It's it's it's
2: pretty bad. I mean, what do you think with LeBron? Do you think he just doesn't? Like again, is it sort of like we talked about? Is it sort of the the, the thing where? The way Westbrook plays is just more appealing to fellow NBA players and his, like, strength than to fans or, you know, would-be analysts of the game who, who don't sort of, like, you know, don't have sort of the warrior spirit in them, um, kind of like watching the game as opposed to playing it. Like, I, I just think it's so weird because LeBron is see, is really smart. Um and he's jumped from team to team in part because he recognizes that like he needs younger talent and there wasn't many options for them probably with the, <clears throat> the group, the, the guys that they had in terms of acquiring a better player. But I think the one thing people always talk about is like Buddy Heald was there and they probably could have held on, you know, either the KCP or, you know, it's just like there was some ways to kind of keep a bench and keep some guys around. Um, so yeah, I just don't that's the part I just don't get is how he was such an advocate for that. Um, I don't know. It's weird.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be fascinating to see how it comes together. It just at this point it's the Lakers play well when A D is like shooting the rock well, and when he they he doesn't shoot the rock well, then then they're not. But speaking you of
2: know, someone who's like, like kind of Covington sheet esque, he's definitely falling in love with the jumper, man. I mean, it is so, like and again, I think it's just—it's probably better for him. He's probably far falling D Love's advice and not falling down so much, <laughs> shooting more, shooting more You're pull up jump jumpers. Don't, don't go with the post, AD. You'll start falling down everywhere. But
1: he uh, he unloaded on the the team after they lost to like Minnesota last week. He's like, "We are not a championship caliber team." He's like,
0: first Oklahoma City, now Minnesota." <laughs>
1: Like, well, maybe the fact that LeBron is out uh, indefinitely is part of that factor. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, did you
2: guys? Did you guys? Speak, did you guys see? Um, I guess like a Cleveland. I, I think the Wizards beat the Cavs or played the Cavs recently, and the you may see this, Michael, but the um, local sports um, report the on the L- local station, at the, the Chiron on the bottom, said you know it said Kyle Kuzma. It was, Kyle Kuzma was being interviewed. It's a Kyle Kuzma, like. He'll, he, he's an NBA champion because of LeBron. <laughs> and then they tweeted that out, and then Kuzma responded to it, and said, that makes two of us Cleveland.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Nice. I mean, you know, who'd have known? Like, that mix of, like, young guys all gets free of the, like, Lakers drama, and they've all, you know, they've all done some things. I mean, it's funny to see Kuzma now. Blossoming a little bit. Ball in Chicago's, you know, pretty legit. I mean, that's. him. Mean, I mean, the Caruso move is just even more kind of laughable in hindsight now that he's. I think he started a power forward for them tonight or a couple of days ago. I just, you know, the fact that, like, Caruso is, like, like, a strong, serious rotation player again now in a team that's, you know, going to be relevant in the, in the Eastern Conference. I mean, by all accounts. Um, but it is uh, it, that'll be that'll be confusing until I think the end of the time. But
1: all right, all right, guys. On that note, uh, our apologies to uh, uh, Scott Brooks, but we never intended to have him on anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember. Throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.